Welcome to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Join attorneys James Moore, Kevin Littlejohn, and Misty Blagg as they explore law, technology, and persuasive arguments. Sit back, relax, and listen to your zealous advocates. Welcome back to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. We're so happy to have you here today. I'm Misty Blagg, healthcare attorney at Shipman and Wright Law, and I have my co-host in the room, Your Kevin Littlejohn. Your consistent co-host my in the consistent. room. He's the only one that doesn't let me down. Never, never would I. And we're so happy to have our guest today, Jim Roberts. Jim has been integral into setting up an entrepreneur network new here in Wilmington, and we are approaching the 10-year anniversary of the startup ecosystem here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Jim, it's wonderful to have you here today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed meeting you at the recent uh, UNCW Mentor Network. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, why, why is Wilmington unique in the fact that it's really had entrepreneurship take off recently? Well, the biggest factor is Live Oak Bank and their spin-out company, uh, Encino, right. and, a, and a second spin-out company called Aperture. And um, besides Live Oak Bank, uh, Encino is one of the only local, locally started companies that had an IPO on Wall Street. And when you have an exit event like that, a successful exit event, it creates generational wealth. Um, I think the stock went from 13 on the open and ended in the 80s. And it went from a $3 billion company to an $8 billion company in one day. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. And that's real, real wealth. And um, that is not the only company. There's been some smaller wins as well. You may be familiar with George Taylor and his family of companies. Yeah. He's got a company called National Speed. He was also the founder of Two Colors Brewing. Mm. Um he had a company called Next Glass that acquired a company called Untapped, and they had an exit with a private equity company. And then a, a much smaller deal um, called Player Space, and it was a software company started by Todd John, and they were acquired by a company out of Houston. And the track record of being able to go from ideation to exit is what all entrepreneurs are trying to do. They're trying to get that big exit after five to seven to 10 years of growing their company and somebody comes in and buys them and thinks that they're going to grow it to another level. And, um, and that's why entrepreneurs get in the game. Well, that's a and, good point. So, I wanted to ask yeah. you, cause I, you know, I grew up, my parents were small business owners. I don't know that they really thought of themselves as entrepreneurs, but you know, they held the yeah. family business for years. Is that the difference when you really think about what an entrepreneur is and what somebody just interested in a small business? Yeah, the difference between a mom and pop shop or a mom and pop business that's generational is very different than a scalable company that a that a venture capitalist is going to invest in. Um, again, it's it's a five to seven year to a ten year. If you're in the life sciences space that I know you're interested in, that could be twelve to fifteen years. But it also takes a lot more money to get a life sciences company uh, to exit. So. That's really the biggest difference is the the, the timetable is really scrunched um, because the investors want to get their money in and then they want to get their money out through an exit. Hmm. So what's the, the role that new plays in that entire process and taking a company I, I would envision to exit? Well, we are playing the very early space. I meet with the entrepreneurs, as I say, and I'm 
you know, sorry to make you laugh. This is what <laughs> my, my favorite saying is you had an idea in the shower. I want to talk to you as soon as you get dressed. Right. <laughs> because there's a lot of bad things that can happen in the next six hours that you can really screw up a great idea. So we like those ideation stage companies and we like to make some introductions where they meet some people that probably have some industry knowledge and, um, and make sure that they're on the right track. That's you know, a good once point. they're past, once they're past 50 employees, it's really hard for the ecosystem to help them at this point, mm-hmm. other than maybe give them some introductions to the media. Okay. How'd so- you get involved or, in or, the, yeah. How'd you get, how'd you get involved in, in, in this, in this area, in this, in this field? You went to Florida undergrad as I saw, is that correct? I did. I'm very proud of my a typical Florida grad right there. Oh yeah. <laughs> in the year 2000, I was selling websites in the city of Charlotte, and Charlotte's a banking town. It was not mm-hmm. really participating in the dot com growth of the 90s and the 2000s, and I was pretty frustrated. And I said, I had all these prospects, but they didn't have any money to actually buy the website so they could grow their business. And so I became the solution to my own problem. I created a monthly event on the, I think it was the first Tuesday of every month. And I took over a restaurant and I had a a speaker that could talk about sales or marketing or investor capital. And I knew that if I helped an entrepreneur meet an investor, and then that that entrepreneur needed a website that they were going to buy it from me. Right. And that, that's exactly how I got into this is I was trying to sell more websites. And it, the truth is, you know, a year into it, no one wanted to talk about websites. They just love <laughs> yes. the energy of these events right. because they are very high energy. And I hope we can get into why our events are so successful because right now in the city of Wilmington, that's the eighth biggest city in North Carolina, we have the highest attendance of any startup um, any monthly startup event in the whole state of North Carolina. There's so much energy. You know, I volunteer with you at the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship that UNCW has, and I was just amazed how many really successful, um, intelligent, wonderful people volunteer their time and how much interest there is you know, around the community around that center. And I know you were a director there at one time. Right. Yeah, I was the very first inaugural director. Uh, We opened the doors in September of 2013. And within 12 months, we were announced as one of the top 50 incubators in the country. And we won an award at the White House. Oh, Uh, The award was from the Small Business Administration, but the award and the grant was given at the White House. So that was a pretty big deal for for me. What do you think about Wilmington that's special, that's feeding all of this really cool entrepreneurship energy? Well, I have to say it this way. We live in a place where people actually want to live. People want to live at the coast, and that's their dream. And I would say until the CIE, there wasn't really a whole lot of help to make that happen. And I, I, I would guess to say that's why not a whole lot happened. You know, I... I I'm not a native to North Carolina. I'm certainly not a native to Wilmington, but I I just wonder how much really happened in Wilmington before I-40 expanded in 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was happening in the economy then? You know, PPD is not a native Wilmington company. Castle Branch is not a native Wilmington company. 
Um, so Live Oak is really the first big local success story. And, um, and again, they drive a lot of the positive headlines that are happening in Wilmington that make regional headlines and national headlines. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I don't know if you know this, but I, between Live Oak, Encino, and Aperture, they've hired over 500 UNCW graduates, and that wow. had never yeah. happened before. <clears throat> those graduates, those top graduates always went to Raleigh. We know exactly where they went. They went to a Credit Suisse bank, and the top 100 or 80 to 100 graduates you know, started getting these $80,000 jobs in Raleigh. And of course they're going to take that job. Right. And all of that's changed now because that, um, that damn beach discount that people talk about <laughs> where they'll take 20% less because they're able to work and live at the beach. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You've got Encino that are paying really great salaries and Aperture is paying really great salaries and, um, that beach discount mentality doesn't. And Wilmington's uh, really growing anymore because of. So I know you lead the Well Angel Network, which is really mm-hmm. important in founding or at least providing venture capital to local um, startups. So when you're, we talk a lot about uh, framing our story and, and understanding as a lawyer that we have to present a, a persuasive story. So how do you counsel young startups in framing their story so that they do get that investment money? Well, we have a really interesting event that I'm not sure that anyone else does. We, we call it our tough love event. And what I do is I bring in five grumpy curmudgeons from out of town <laughs> that I know from my business network. And I will pay some of these people. And for a full day, if we know that five of our local startups are going to go out on a, a road show to raise money with investors, you know, you, you're not going to raise all the money you need just in Wilmington or even in North Carolina. So what we do is we put them through kind of a ringer is they give us a practice run of their investor presentation and we tear it to shreds every single slide until we know that it's, you know, something that's believable and authentic and something that other investors that we know would have an interest in. And that's one of the ways that we really give a lot of help to the Wilmington ecosystem because if you only show that practice presentation to your friends and family, right? Yeah, they're not gonna. Grandma's gonna love. They're it. not gonna want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and the the local people who would be experts don't want to run into you at church or the restaurant and have that awkward uh, moment where they told you that you you had an ugly baby as a startup. <laughs> um, they don't want that. They don't want that feeling. So they just be nice and um it's not it's not important it's not valuable for them if they're not hearing what they can do better you know as as lawyers we have to we learned how to take feedback and sometimes it's it's hard but it really does help shape you into a better lawyer and i have to imagine that sort of presentation and um, opportunity helps shape these startups into just having a very good pitch which your story is so important and having your theme for your story i think that's a a very common place between law and and in entrepreneurship. So you talked about your new um, events that you have monthly, and I'm going to be attending my first one um, here this next month. Thank you for the invite. <laughs> we'll make you sure you get invite. there, Kevin, because Kevin is talking about AI, and I know how much you love well, it. Kevin, no. <laughs> in Wilmington, North Carolina, on September 13th, how many people will you think will come out to a business event at 4 o'clock? Just a round guess of how many people you think 
<clears throat> I'd say I, I would say an event it would be successful with 25 to 30 folks. We have 170 people registered. Really? Yep. 170. Dang. And you're going to be registered here shortly, Kevin. I'm going to make sure about well, it. And what is this event exactly? <laughs> what, yeah, that what got it? your attention now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so what we've done is the North Carolina Technology Association that's based in Raleigh, they're statewide. They have this event called the Brews and Bites, which is just a networking event. And I said, I don't do networking events. I don't believe in them because I don't think just seeing your friends and having a beer makes you a better entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I added some content to it. Uh, we call it the ABCs of new technology tools. So what we're doing is A, uh, artificial intelligence, B, blockchain, C, chat, GBT. And we've got three local entrepreneurs. Um, two of them are from Live Oak and Encino. Actually, one of the very first founders of Encino has a new company called Rayleon. And the third expert is uh, Dr. Carl Risenick, who has a company called uh, Lapidus Solutions. And so they're going to talk about these tech tools and how you don't have to be afraid of them you should be using them to disrupt your industry to your advantage. So that's the event where we're putting on on September 13th. Yeah. You know, I've always wanted to ask this question and, and you may tell me that there's a better person that I could direct this question to, but what is the value and what is the, 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 the purpose of using blockchain as an entrepreneur? What is the benefit in that? So it's about security. Um, I have a client called Measure.io. They're not in Wilmington, they're in Chapel Hill, but we're, we've invested in them as well. And what they say is they are the, um, not just blockchain, but guacchain. So they're basically um, tracking where avocados go. Oh. So it's guacchain. Guacchain. <laughs> That's catchy. I like it. And so they're an act tech play and really, Blockchain is all about tracking where things go, whether it's an avocado or technology. Yeah, there are some countries, I'm trying to remember which one right now, that use blockchain for medical records, and that's how they ensure that medical records stay private and are secure. So, you know, I yeah. think it's definitely still, although we feel like we've been talking about blockchain I know, a I, long time. I heard it for a long time, right around that NFT era, yeah. and, and I was like, what is what, what is it yeah. exactly? I think it's still emerging, and I'll, and it's sort of complex to, to think about what blockchain is, but it's a little bit of the internet stored in everybody computer and you give it a special code and it'll align all these different bytes right. to to give you you know whatever you've stored in it um it, it's pretty cool that's a very simplistic way to explain <laughs> it but uh that's what a gaming attorney how they explain it to yeah. me. i said dumb it down to like well, a five grade level <laughs> it's very important in supply chain um to know where your supply chain is uh how far is it away you know, during COVID, we had huge supply chain problems. And um, again, this Measure I.O. company is working um, with a huge textile-related company. And the textile company wants to know where the cotton comes from. And so uh -huh. they're using blockchain to make sure that the labor that's producing the cotton in an Asian country uh -huh. is doing it legally and not using forced labor. That is very important. I have, to, I have to leave it at that. 
Yeah, no, my family owned textile mills for years, and so I can appreciate that. Um, well, here's one of the things that frustrates me, Jim, and being an attorney, and uh, you know, I want to I want to be here to support entrepreneurs, but but with legal in an area where there's legal Zoom and all these other services, they'll go out there and start choose their entity, get it going with the local secretary of state, and they'll never get advice from attorney and. While that's all fine and well that you can do that stuff and it's relatively easy, there's also not an attorney advising you what kind of corporate formalities you have to adhere to, that you don't need to co you shouldn't be commingling your funds. And when you do all that, you're losing some protections for your entity. So what role does an attorney play in that early process and how, how do we better get in there and really help people out? Well, we have, we have sponsors that are law firms that are doing really well. Um, we have a new law firm. I don't want to talk about your competition, but I mean, <laughs> he became a sponsor about six months ago and he's already picked up five clients. Mm. So I think there's not been a lot of participation from uh, Wilmington law firms. So it's a matter of being in there. You know, once, once we advise an entrepreneur, we're certainly advising them to work with high quality um, lawyers to, to get the, the paperwork done right. We don't want kind of the legal shield kind of stuff that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's not certainly something we're not recommending to the entrepreneurs. Yeah, and the same thing for contracts drafting. I think it's just important for them. A lot of people are Googling their contracts, and <clears throat> and that's going to just ultimately get you in trouble because you have to customize a contract, your transaction. So you say that lawyers, according to what I'm hearing, that we really need to play a more active process in these in incubators and, and get in there and, and let them know our services and the value that we bring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's crucial because, you know, we, we can't have any legal problems when we're trying to push the entrepreneurs to find new investors outside of the region all of that legal stuff has to be very buttoned up and, you know, um, the lawyers should be playing a role in our events. They should be networking. They should be playing a role at the incubator. They should be sponsoring what we're doing because we're creating your future client base. Mm-hmm. And I would say the reason the entrepreneurs are doing these things is because frankly, most of our entrepreneurs in Wilmington are extremely cash poor. You know, they're not coming out of long careers and where they made six-figure salaries. These guys are sometimes right out of school and trying to start a company, and they really don't have the personal resources to do that. And, you know, it kind of takes money to make money. You know, it, it's hard to impress a, a, well, a, a wealthy person to be an investor if you, if you still look like a rookie. <laughs> you right. know, you, you want to kind of look like your investors and, and dress the way they dress and Um, until really recently, our entrepreneurs were extremely cash poor and that's why they would do kind of these alternative legal strategy research. Yeah, I always, and I've dealt with a few, uh, startup companies over my practice so far, and and they've always come to me after, after something has developed from a legal perspective. And one of the things I always try to impress upon them is I know early on, like to your point that cash may be something that may be difficult for you to, to get your hands on, but you would save yourself the headache that you are now in by understanding that that's a cost that's well spent and ensuring that legally and on paper, you are well buttoned up prior to 
you know, getting into a scenario where, you know, you've got people wanting to see, you know, X, Y, and Z, and it hasn't been properly drafted or crafted. So um, I think that legal advice is one of the best things to have early on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is that your phone? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> well, what? Um, <laughs> you know, we're all so busy this day and age. Well, well, Jim, what do you see the biggest hiccups that startups run into from your perspective? Well, it's it's not having enough runway when they're trying to start their company. You know, they think three months from now I'm going to have a million dollars in sales and I'm going to have all these investors. Um, you know, putting money in their accounts and that, that timeline is just unrealistic. And, um, again, until recently, um, these entrepreneurs really didn't have any money and they would try to start a company around something they knew from wherever they were from before they started the company. Maybe they moved to Wilmington with their life savings and coming here and trying to start a company. And it's just, Things don't happen that fast. If if you believe the stuff on Shark Tank, you're <laughs> yeah. you're kind of foolish to believe that a, an investor makes a decision that fast. I really I've never watched a full episode of Shark Tank. I really don't like it, even though I love Mark Cuban. Yeah. Um, I just despise that show because it it kind of ruins gives a false sense of hope. My too. work as far as mm. the expectations of how th- how fast things move. Well, for just the ordinary person out there watching our podcast that's not heavily involved in in entrepreneur networks, could you explain what the term incubator really means? Because I think, you know, we've seen a lot of this terminology being thrown around. So what does it mean to be part of an incubator? If I can, I'll use three different terms. One is an incubator. A second is an accelerator. And the third is a co-working space. So in Wilmington, there are three different co-working spaces um, there's uh, Common Desk co-working, there's Blue Mind co-working, and then within the CIE, there is co-working as well. And co-working is basically just shared resources. So there's one printer for everyone in the space. Uh, there's open desk space where there's not necessarily uh, doors. You don't have your own private office. It's just, you know, you have one table and it has six chairs in it, and all six people can be from different companies. Right. Uh, it could be a lot of freelance work or remote work. Um, an incubator is kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a co-working space, but it has more programming to it. So there are events, there's probably something like a million cups is something you would see in an incubator. A million cups is a program every Wednesday at 9 AM. There are one or two startups. They get six minutes to present their company and a value proposition and then 20 minutes of questions from the audience. So it's kind of a uh, a way to be surrounded by other high energy entrepreneurs that, you know, on that Thursday when you're dragging, you can knock on the guy next to you <laughs> on the door and have a conversation about what did they do when they came across this similar problem in their business. And that's the value of an incubator. Right. Um, an accelerator is what I'm really excited about. And I wish Wilmington had an accelerator is a, is a facility where every six months there are 12 new startups that take over in an accelerator. This would be like a TechStars or a Y Combinator or a 500 startups. And at the beginning and at the end, you get a tranche of money. So let's say TechStars, you get $150,000 and they take 7% of your company. 
Um, and they put you through three months of programming. You kind of come in with your fresh idea. And at the end of the six months, you're a fully polished entrepreneur. And you have been through the ringer and the programming and you filled out your business plan, even though it's fluid and you, you've been taught on investor presentation skills and you come in very raw, but six months later, you're a pretty polished entrepreneur. And that's what an accelerator is. And that's what I wish Wilmington had. Uh, there are lots of accelerators across the country, but the, the highest one is Techstars. And there's never really been a Wilmington entrepreneur that's been accepted into uh, a Techstars program. We did have one go through a Founders Institute, mm -hmm. but um, we're waiting for the cash to come through. So given the lack of early stage capital that we have in Wilmington, to have an accelerator would be a really big addition to our ecosystem. What are some of the industries and fields that you see the, the highest likelihood of, of success when you're talking about, uh, you know, creating a, a business? Is it, is it, I'm assuming it's tech. Is that what it you typically see a lot of success in or I mean, does it all depend on how well and, you are? Tech and life sciences is really um, the two areas where I help Wilmington entrepreneurs. I, I don't really deal in the retail businesses. Mm. There's plenty of, other members of what we call the Wilmington Coalition. So there's 13 organizations that are entrepreneur support organizations in the Wilmington area. And we all, we have a coalition of, of us and there's a website for the coalition, uh, the Wilmington small business coalition.com. And so we all help different kinds of companies, but if you want that fast growth, emerging growth, uh, what are called unicorns where they go, you know, from a startup to a billion dollars in valuation, um, those are normally tech companies that are software companies, software as a service where they don't ship you the discs anymore. Right. It's all online on cloud. And, uh, and we're really struggling to, to start a life sciences sector. That's not the clinical research PPD, mm. but companies that are in healthcare or. That's exciting drugs. for me, Jim, you that's, know, I love healthcare. Well, we have to have more capital. Um, yeah. We had an event in November that was all life sciences. It sold out very quickly. It sold out a month in advance, I think. We had 100 people, and um, and a lot of those people were resources from the Research Triangle Park where, you know, the, the Raleigh-Durham area has been doing what Wilmington is now doing. They've been doing it for 40 years. Right. They were one of the original entrepreneur support organizations, this organization called CED, the Council for Entrepreneur Development. And that's why the Raleigh area is so far ahead of anywhere else um, is because they've had continued support uh, for 40 years. Hey, oh, that's very true. Kevin and I both come from the mm -hmm. Raleigh er area, um, moving into Wilmington. Right. And I honestly was, when I moved here, was quite shocked that what all we already had going, it really energized me. And I feel like we're at a point right now in Wilmington where the community is very welcoming. In Raleigh, it's almost difficult to get involved in those communities because just so many people are involved. So I, I encourage well, that's people. My, that's my strength, if I may, yeah. is because I moved from Raleigh to Wilmington. And I had worked the Raleigh market for six years and actually longer before I even moved to Raleigh, I had these Raleigh contacts. So really the biggest benefit of my work is that I can take the Wilmington entrepreneurs 
and invite them to events where I can make warm introductions. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And they can get to know the, the movers and shakers and investors in the Raleigh-Durham market. And like you said, if you don't know this market, it can be hard to break into. But the other side of that is I call it the coastal corridor. I've now invited 100 investors from the Raleigh-Durham market to come and speak at my events at the Network for Entrepreneur in Wilmington events. And I've only been turned down one time. Um, In April of this year, we had 185 people at an event and 53 of those were investors. That is, that is fabulous. I know there's just a lot of interest in this area right now, and we just have to continue to to push and develop develop it because we know more people are wanting to come. On the invest- well, it's all about job creation, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, what they're, that's what's driving the interest is we're trying – I don't know if you saw, but earlier this year, Wilmington was ranked the number seven city in America for job growth and salary mm-hmm. growth. Yeah. We were only three spots behind Raleigh. That's fantastic. That makes me excited. So on the investor side, if we want to be an an angel investor, how does that look? You know, how does somebody get involved? Well, there are accredited issues where you have to have a $250,000 combined annual income or a million dollars in net worth first to become an accredited investor. So it's a pretty steep um, requirement uh, to, to become an investor. Now, there are three angel groups in Wilmington. Um, my group, the Whale Angel Network, there's the Wilmington Investor Network, and there's a third group called Venture South. And um, I'm proud to say that we've done the most local investing. Um, our most recent investment is in a company called Boreas Monitoring Solutions. So they um, make sure that IVF tanks people who are trying to get pregnant through IVF, that the samples are stored correctly. So it's a matter of traditionally these tanks have been stored in temperature range, a cold temperature range, of course, but this company is adding a weight feature to it to make sure the samples stay the same weight and have not gone bad. And then an alarm goes off if there's any change in the tanks at all. And all of this is done through the internet of things. So the, the tanks have communication that communicate to the the people that work in the clinic, and that's the latest investment by the Whale Angel Network. That is a really neat invention that I, you know, that's right in my wheelhouse. I love to see people um, making those sort of devices better and better and better. Well, we're also an investor in a company called Opiate that's probably solving one of the top five problems in America right now, which is the opioid crisis. And yes, they're taking the wearable data from your Apple Watch or whatever wearable device you have, and they're monitoring the biometric data coming off of those watches uh, for people are that are going through rehab clinics. And the clinics are actually the client, not the uh, not the patient. And so it's a this company just got two point eight million dollars from the federal government to help them create this solution. 
And that's one of the biggest grants in the history of Wilmington. Right. We're going to see more and more investment in remote patient monitoring as medicine moves more to value-based care because a lot of these providers are getting, number one, they're getting incentives through value-based purchasing. And number two, they're they're mitigating risk. And especially when you talk into opioid treatment centers, you know, there's a lot of risk there involved. So I can absolutely see why they would be interested in that that sort of technology. Well, Jim, this is this is a question I have for you, and this is just as a matter of procedure. When you've got a company that comes, you know, to new in the ideation phase or stage of, of, of their development, what are some of the things or, or maybe the main thing that you like to discuss with them in order to ensure that they'll be in the best position going forward to become successful? Is it is it you've got to you got to be committed to I know you got to be committed, but you've got to, you know, Beginning for the long haul, you've got to have money invested in it. You've got to have uh, an alternative option in case plan B doesn't work out. You, you know, you've got to have experience in the industry. What is it that you find to be the main thing you like to to, to go over with um, potential participants in the program? I want to make sure that they are the aspirin for the pain point in the market that they're going after. Mm. Is this mm. the aspirin? Uh one of the cool events that you do is that is that what it is? Is it that is. the answer? Okay. Yeah, we actually have an aspirin event. Yeah. Um, we've had it, I guess, in 20, 2014 is the last time we had this event. But what we did was we invited the five largest employers that we could get to participate, and they had to stand on stage and discuss the five biggest pain points in their industry. Hmm. And the reason we call it aspirin is because if you have a headache you would drive to the grocery store to, to buy the aspirin to make sure that headache goes away. Amen. So you can get on with your day. Right. Um, you, you, you might want a vitamin, but you can wait until you need milk <laughs> and get that vitamin. But if you have pain, you're going to have some urgency to create and find a solution for that pain point. So that's the number, th- number one thing that we emphasize is, is it a big enough problem that there's a, big marketplace mm. that you could potentially have a billion dollar company fair i gotta start thinking of things i need to start i, I, need to, so I really need to start figuring out what can i do <laughs> I think from that's an what aspirin I, perspective to get people behind an idea <laughs> i think that's the problem for everybody everybody's out there starting to think and of it, you know what you know what i really hate the most and you, and you two will know i see so many things that become successful that I'm just like, how in the world did I not think of it? Like when I saw the fidget spinner, I thought, how did I? When I saw Crocs, you know what I mean? I, mean, I see a variety when you of saw things. Crocs, do you wear Crocs? No, I don't wear Crocs, but people go crazy over these kind of things. And I'm like, it is that, is that much of chance that, you know, your product may catch the market's eye or whatever you do may catch the, the industry's eye. And then boom, you're just off and running. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I would like to try as much as I could to see what would be successful. What do you look at the Shibumi shade? Yes. Right. I mean, and come on. Printing money. <laughs> yeah. Insane. Printing money. Well, right. Is there a common trait that you see in entrepreneurs that are successful? Grit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if you spend five minutes with George Taylor, you have been through a fight. He's going <laughs> to fight you because he is, he is a gritty entrepreneur. He has made his wealth. He is an extremely successful person but you will not find a more competitive person on this planet than George Taylor. And he is gritty and he fights and he enjoys the, the, the scramble to do it when you said it couldn't be done. Um, 
that's what I that's what I look for in our entrepreneurs is are you gritty? Do you have a sense of urgency? Because if you're a manana manana person, I'll mm-hmm. get to it tomorrow. Move on, find someone else to help you because I ain't got time. I got I can only help with those entrepreneurs that have fire in the belly. Yeah. So how do you know, how would a person that say, I want to be an entrepreneur, I've got my idea. How do I know when I'm ready for, you know, to pitch to Well Angel Network? Well, we're going to put you through that tough love. Uh, we're <laughs> going to, because I have my reputation too, right? I can't put a bad entrepreneur in front of my right. investors because they won't come to the next event. Right. If I have bad events and they see bad deals, they're going to stop paying me this membership fee. So it's my job. I work both sides. I got to prepare the entrepreneur and I got to prepare and know what the investors are looking for. And that way I kind of get them to the middle to where they agree on a deal because conservative investors love to move the goal line. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking, if you're the entrepreneur at the 10 yard line and it takes you three months to get there, you weren't at the 10 yard line. You were at midfield or worse. Right. So you have to know what, speed the investors move at and you have to you know prepare the entrepreneur of what they're what kind of fight they're in because these these investors just um they just don't smile and hand over their wallet they're gonna fight you to uh get every advantage they can and every piece of leverage they can in the deal to protect their their downside to reduce the risk well, how is it that, and this is what I always found interesting when we're talking about exiting, how is it, like you say, you want to find guys and girls that are hungry and gritty, believe in their company, believe in, in their product, whatever it may be, but are okay five to seven years after they've grown it from, you know, nothing to, uh, you know, a company that's ready to, you know, be offered or whatever it may be. And just walk away from it like that. You know, how does, how is it, is it just simply the, the love of money? Because I would have difficulty if I created like something. like your baby. Yeah, it's my baby. And then, and then now I'm, I'm to walk away or sell or whatever. What if that be. baby gave you $10 million? I don't, I'm just saying that to me, it'd be an interesting <laughs> dynamic to try to get through that with, with an, with an entrepreneur. Well, there's the other way, like George Taylor does it. He's what I call a portfolio entrepreneur. Mm. He's got five companies going on. So if, if you lost one of your babies, there's four other babies to take care of. Um, or a guy like Scott Wingo in the Raleigh market who spoke at our event in April, and he, he really gave like a, a 45 minute MBA to these 185 people that were there. And it was just, you kind of heard a pin drop in the middle of a brewery after three or four beers, these people were silent. Mm. So he's just created, I mean, he's built a company, sold it, built another company, sold it. He's now on his fourth company. Maybe you've seen it around town. It's called Spiffy. Yeah. And it's basically an on-demand car wash. I like Spiffy. So if Spiffy. you're an employer and you want to help your employees and, you know, create some loyalty, this is kind of an employment perk or a benefit Kevin, where, we you need know, to once a month Spiffy. they'll bring the van to your office and Shoot, it'll change the oil, change, wash the car. Oh, change the oil know. from the parking lot? Yeah. Oh yeah, I need that. Game changer. And all environmentally safe, meaning they recycle all the water, so it's not just going away. But they're taking care of, um, you know, the places where they they wash the cars. That's, I would do that now. Yeah, especially if they this give company. Me this company is a car wash company. They've raised fifty million dollars in capital. Wow. Dang. 
That's fantastic. Well, Jim, thank you for for being with us today. We've really appreciated talking about um, entrepreneurship. I know it's one of my favorite things to talk about. How can people find out about your events and your Well um, Angel Network? Yeah, um, probably the best thing is to look for me on LinkedIn. Um, We have a website for newilm.com. Not all the events are on there got a challenge with my web designer right now, but um, LinkedIn is probably the best. I'm very active on LinkedIn. There's a post on there today about the event on September 13th and um, the the really great crowd that we're expecting. We'll also have an event on October 19th. And then I'm sure you guys, are you guys familiar with the name Steve Case? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yes, he's the one who built AOL. Uh. Right. He sold that company and he started a venture fund called Revolution Capital. Oh, lead investor in Revolution Capital is coming to Wilmington on November 16th. Mm. They were just named one of the top 50 venture capital funds in the world. And they're coming to Wilmington on November 16th. Mm. Uh, His name is David Hall. He's the lead investor. So it's not Steve Case. Uh He's not the one coming, but his lead investor, Dave Hall, a black man from uh, New Orleans who works for Steve Case in D.C. at their fund is uh, is coming to speak in Wilmington on November 16th. So we're very excited about that. Well, we will be there. November 16th. I, I'm definitely going to be there because I, I, I just need to be there. <laughs> I just need to be there. Kevin is very well, no, supportive because, and this is of why the black my sister is here. My sister is... Uh, she, you know, graduated Wake Forest, Duke, all this kind of stuff. And so she does, she started her own data analytics company. And so she's been, you know, getting that thing buttoned up. And um, I think that'd be something that she'd be, she'd gain some, a lot of insight from. So I, I definitely want to get her down here for that. Um, do you, would y'all, I'm assuming geographically, you only work with, with companies that are in this sort of Wilmington area. Yeah, but every, every city has some form of the organization that I'm running. They have, um, there's a launch Greensboro. There's a Winston starts. Mm-hmm. Um, I started the groups in Charlotte and, and Asheville. So every, every city above 75,000 has some kind of entrepreneur support organization. Mm-hmm. Well, this has just been such a informative episode of all that's going on here in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is our home. Um, we would love to have visitors to the area, right? But not in the summertime. We already have enough people here. Um. <laughs> Yeah, we get our city back very soon right after Labor Day. Right. We claim it back from the tourists. Well, thank you again, Jim. It's been a wonderful episode of the Zealous Advocate podcast. Please check us out on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, and, and wherever else you may find your podcast. And join us next time for another episode of the Zealous Advocate podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Zealous Advocate podcast. Make sure to subscribe to follow us wherever you get your podcasts.